Thrive Leadership Podcast in three, two, cue music. This is the Thrive Leadership Leadership Podcast. Podcast. It's a place to connect you to nationally acclaimed leaders, their insights, and ideas on how to help you thrive in every area of your your life. On today's episode, Compton Mayor Asia Brown. He showed me Compton on the map and it was glowing. And he just spoke to my heart and just told me that you're a part of breaking curses. And my gift has always been I can see blueprints and I can see strategies. When people see chaos, I can see solutions. Now your host, Brad Lominick. The Honorable Mayor, Asia Brown, is in the house. That is I, and I am here. You are. (laughs) It's so fun to have you here. And for context for the Thrive Leadership Podcast listeners, uh, we met a couple years ago at an event in Orange County called Catalyst. Yes. And you were there speaking, and I actually got to interview you backstage. (laughs) But it's great to have you here. And I know this is your territory, even though this is Northern California. Right. It's still in your your home state. So how much are you in Sacramento? A lot? You know what? I used to be in Sacramento once a month um, up until December 2016. And so now I'm here maybe quarterly. But I used to spend quite a bit of time up here serving on the State Water Commission. State Water Commission. That sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) Well, it's critical. I'll say that to ensuring California's water supply. So do you get pulled into a lot of extra things in in a mayor's position? I do. Um, And now I'm just a little more selective on what I can do. Um, But there's always an opportunity to serve. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I I guess that's a good thing. I mean, in terms of both connecting and being more connected in the state, right? Because everybody sort of says, the more you know people at the at whatever that next level is, right? Yeah, the more you can get done for your city. For sure. So, so give a little bit of your story. A lot of the listeners to this podcast are probably thinking, I, I want to hear more of who she is. So, give us a little bit of the background of of your history leading up to now the mayor of Compton. Wow. Um, I was raised by a single mother who was raised in the city of Compton. And my mother's mother was actually murdered in Compton. And so she decided to raise my brother and I in another city in Pasadena. And so I never thought I would ever be back in the city of Compton. I never thought that I would um, live there, work there, serve there. But about maybe in about 2009, actually 2008, my husband and I, we were commuting to go to Bible study during the week um, and fighting traffic. And he said, you know, we have to go someplace more central to where we both work. And so a friend of mine was just started attending a Bible study in Compton. And um, he said, you know, we're just going to go to that Bible study in Compton because it's close. And so we started going to this Bible study um, and God really just began to speak to us. And we were already serving in ministry in another um, church. And we thought that we were going to live there. Um, we had put in several offers in homes there, never received a counter offer, um, heard nothing back. And we said, OK, God didn't tell us to do this. This is what we thought. And so we took a step back and really um, sought the Lord and asked him where he wanted us to be. And so in that process, we started attending this Bible study in Compton. Then we started doing outreach in Compton um, as the church. They were really active and just doing good work in the community. And so we started uh, witnessing to um, prostitutes on Long Beach Boulevard. We started Mm -hmm. painting homes um, with the Compton Initiative. And God just really touched our heart. And we just knew that there was um, so much work to be done. And we were ready to labor. We didn't have children. A lot of energy, love the Lord, and knew we had a lot to give. And so we actually never talked about it. We just said, okay, it's time to go on the fast. So we fasted. Um, we said we fast for seven days. On the third day, our real estate agent that hadn't contacted us um, in six months because we told him that we were not looking for a home at this time. We were really waiting on the Lord. 
he called us and said, you know, I know you guys are not looking in Compton, but I really like you to see these new townhomes that were being built. I think you will love them. So we said, you know, no problem. And he didn't know that we were going to church in Compton. Um, and we were on this fast and waiting to hear the Lord. And so I was really excited inside. And my husband and I, we went to go see these homes. And as we drove in the gate, the Holy Spirit just hit me and said, this is it. I had never seen the inside. I didn't know how much they cost. I just knew that that's where we were supposed to be. And so my husband, he felt the same way. The next day, we actually brought them a deposit check um, to put down on the home. And we had to wait about, maybe at that time, about four months because our phase had to be built. And so in that time, a friend of mine that worked for the city of Compton's redevelopment agency, I hadn't spoken with him in years. And he actually called my husband thinking that he was calling my number because our numbers are really similar. And so he didn't know, and as I back up, I was working in the city of Inglewood in yeah. economic development. So God had came to me and told me, I want you to look on the city of Compton's website. There is a position I want you to have. Mm. And I'm like, this is really God. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. okay, Compton, I had never been on their website. Um, I knew I was going to church there at that time and I was just kind of seeing what God was doing. But long story short, went on the website, there was a project manager position I closed the window, didn't, didn't speak on it. Then a few days later is when my friend um, contacted me. And so I applied for this position. We had about April. Actually, I spoke with him in April. We bought our home in May. I submitted my application. I received the notification from Compton if I can come interview in June. In between that time, we put the down payment on our home. We changed our churches two weeks later. Let my old pastor know that God is moving us. In June, I interviewed 25 other people. I received my notification letter in mid-July that I had scored number one, glory to God. And so every single job I've ever had, God has always had me put my resignation in July 31st. And so I resigned on wow. July 31st of that year and started Compton in August. And then I moved it physically into our home in September. So that's really how God redirected me back to the city of Compton. And at that time, I still didn't know that he was going to have me to be the mayor. I knew that I was going to serve in ministry. I knew that I was going to be working in redevelopment. And that was my role as economic development, urban planner. So I thought I would be working from the ground up in the community. And a couple, as I got there and served for about a year, that's when God spoke to me. He said, I want you to become the mayor. And I cried and I cried and I ran from it and I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> and then um, I prayed about it a lot. And he just kept he kept speaking to me. And mm. he, I had dreams and I finally um, talked to my husband about it. I spoke with my pastor about it. And he showed me very clearly that I would run and win and that um, he showed me Compton on the map and it was glowing. And he showed me resources coming from every direction. And he just spoke to my heart and just told me that you're a part of um, breaking curses and generational curses and for restoring life in, in order. And he said that without vision, people perish and they cease to keep the law. He said, that's what happened in Compton. And so uh, my gift has always been, I can see blueprints and I can see strategies where people see chaos, I can see solutions. And mm. so he gave me a 12 point plan um, of how to restore my city. And um, I stepped out there on faith, and here I am. Wow. And that was, that was 2000 and 2013 13. is when I was elected. Yeah, and you just were reelected in 2017. Yes. In a landslide, yes. we might add. <laughs> Whatever a landslide looks like. But, um, how would you rate, you know, when you look back on the, on the first term, maybe what are some lessons that you've seen, you know, for your own leadership and also just for... The, the way you've handled things? I mean, does anything stand out for as maybe examples of what you would want to pass on to other leaders? 
Most definitely. I think that I've learned that God may send you to a situation and you are there sent and you're launched to affect change, but you can't expect everyone to receive it at the same time. Hmm. And so you have to have a lot of patience, a lot of faith, a lot of trust, and you have to stay focused. And so for me, um, for instance, God gave me, like I said, this 12 point plan, but it doesn't mean everybody is going to receive the plan or everyone's going to get on board with that plan. And you're going to have resistance to that plan. That's the way that our assignments work. Anytime yeah. that you know God sends you someplace, it's not to because he's going to part the Red Sea for you. It's because you're going to have to break up that fallow ground. And so I've learned that, um, you know, you build consensus where you can and that there are going to be some people that just refuse to follow you, that their chief position is to be disruption. And so instead of spending a lot of time trying to change those folks' minds who just have a stiff neck, you have to just work and cultivate with the people that see the vision, that have the vision mm. and move forward and then allow God to send more people to multiply instead of really spending a lot of time trying to change people that just don't want to change. And there's just nothing you can do about it. And so... And I just encourage people to sometimes do the the hardest things first. And sometimes people will tell you, oh, just wait a minute, you know, wait till things get a little bit easier. But in reality, they may never get easier. They may (laughs) more than likely get tougher. So when God sends you into a new environment, really tackle the toughest things that you can first. And you're going to fail sometimes, but you'll fail forward. God is with you. Certain things are just designed to strengthen you, to build you. Um, But to, to really understand that there really is no failure in God. And you have to be willing to let go of who you believe you are and really accept who God is calling you to be. And that means that you're human. Um, You know, you're frail sometimes. Um, Sometimes you don't know everything. Sometimes you're not right all the time. And so really embrace that as a leader and um, really do those things that are difficult at first so that you can um, tackle some other things um, and allow people to really get on board with what you're doing. That's awesome. There's always that sense, I think, among politicians or people who look at politicians and think, well, can they really be vulnerable? Can they really be transparent, authentic? And you're a model of, of doing that, even this from the sense of what you're saying of, hey, sometimes you know my plan, even though it feels like it's God-ordained, it, it's going to take me being humble to mm-hmm. to uh, allow people to come alongside it. Mm-hmm. Do, do, your, do your counterparts look at you and go, Oh, come on. Seriously? This is really like this is the way you're going to leave? <laughs> um, they do. And I, I faced a lot of criticism from people that have been in politics for a long time um, about leading the way that I lead, which is to serve. It, it yeah. really challenged um, what they believe and what they were vested into politics being. And so I faced a lot of opposition and from places that people would normally they wouldn't even believe. And so you have to anticipate that if you're going to be a change agent, then you're mm-hmm. going to by by nature have forces that are protected and invested in the status quo, trying to keep things the same. And even if that means uh, someone that you would think would be your mentor, they'll secretly go behind you and try to attack you or try to destroy you. And so you have to be prepared for that and be prepared to stand alone, because if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. That should be your that should be your book title. Either <laughs> it's you, if my it was book agent. If, if it, if, well, if it, if it was easy, everybody would do it, or change agent, mm-hmm. or maybe it's change agent. If it was easy, everybody would do it. I like that. So one, we just work something out here. Yeah. Um, one of the stories that have come out of your your leadership is you know sort of this well known part of Compton mm-hmm. and gang violence and a lot of things that were were not the great story that you wanted to tell, but you've done some really powerful 
transformation and healing and, and bringing people together. Talk about some of those things that are happening. I would say that God used me to be a catalyst for these awesome things to happen. And when I was elected in 2013, we were experiencing a spike in violent crime. And I didn't have the luxury of hiring more police officers or um, expending more resources. And so I really had to think outside the box. And we started a task force and work with different groups to focus on gang intervention and prevention. So we started on prevention first, youth development programs, things like that. And about a year later, we were at this phase where we needed to focus on intervention. Um, at the time of year, I knew that the summer was coming. Summer is the time when usually crime spikes. And I had asked some of the um, folks that were on board with our task force um, that had influence with local gangs if they could help bring a meeting together for me and it took them about four months to finally do it mm. and i had to challenge them and i told them if you guys can get this meeting together then i will right <laughs> and um they, they wanted to, to be that catalyst and so they were able to um assemble representatives from each of the gangs in the city of compton and so we met in our community center on a sunday and we had about 80 men and women show up and i asked them as they filed in and they, um, these these 80 had never been in a room together never been in much a room less together. much less even in a room i mean never been in a room together but also would never have done that on their own no right yeah no. and it was really interesting to see and just really humbling because the men some of them just cried they said you know we haven't seen each other or spoken to each other since we were kids mm. and when they really thought about the magnitude of why not, we live in the same city, Compton is 10 square miles. So for us to segregate ourselves because of a gang, it's just really, I, I think the, the magnitude of their decisions really just shattered them. And it really gave way for a, a new beginning. And I asked them to all sit in a circle, I said, because we're all even, that we're all equal. And I asked them just simple questions, you know, what, what prevents you from no longer living this life and in a bigger picture in a bigger sense i asked them well, what kind of city do you want what kind of legacy do you want to leave for your kids and they shared that they didn't they didn't want to be in a gang they felt that they didn't have a choice hmm. and this is not something that they want for their children and they want the city to be safer they want opportunities and we talked about barriers and at that time it was before um prop 47 was approved and many of them had felonies or things that prevented them from actually getting a job. And so I share with them that they have a key opportunity to really come out to vote, be a part of the process so that they can get a fresh start. And as God would have it, a couple of months later, Prop 47 passed, we were able to have expungement workshops designed specifically for them and really work with um, helping them get restored back into the workforce. And people sometimes negate the impact of having a job on a family on a mm -hmm. whole generation, but that's just a, a piece of having dignity. And so in order for them to get this assistance, we mandated that they go through life skills training and then leadership development. And the leadership development was actually faith-based, led by the co-pastor of my church, um, Natalie Owens, and um, awesome. based off of John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws. And so we were able to witness this powerful transformation of these men and women. Um, that really changed their lives from the inside out. And we did things like we had a softball game and we had about 2,000 gang affiliated people come together for a peaceful day in Compton. We wow. had law enforcement, we had about 15 officers there. We had all the um, different men and women there. We had a space for kids, but we just had a beautiful day and that's something that the city has not had ever. And so for that period, we had 
the lowest number of homicides in Compton's recent history in about 30 years. And we finished the year at 13. And Mm -hmm. for people that don't know Compton, the height of NWA's um, straight out of Compton, we were experiencing about 100 homicides a year. Wow. When I took office, Compton's average was still about 40 homicides a year. And so we have continued to experience a drop and violent crime in the city. Last year we finished at 17, and so the work is still continuing. We're Mm. gearing up for a 2.0 version and really focusing on how we can incorporate the younger generation because they have a whole different set of challenges and structural issues that even the older gang members or older generation did not encounter, so we're continuing the work. Amazing. What would you say to church leaders, pastors, a lot of pastors listening to this, in terms of partnering with their city, because you've seen it from both angles. You, you're, you, you've been, in, you, you are in the church. You, you've been part of churches, and you've also obviously now sitting in a seat of, of you know, running a city. What, what's the thing that you would want to say to pastors in terms of how they can best partner with the local council, the local leadership? I would say I would encourage pastors um, to remember that. There's a balance of the the priest, the prophet, and the king. And in mm-hmm. order for God's will to be done and to really have a, a kingdom explosion and to really have that impact, um, we all have to partner together. And so um, being a pastor is such a, a powerful position and influential position. And it's a key position because they have the ability to move um, without politics. And they can really focus on serving in areas that are really needed and really focus on the needs of the people, which ultimately is the community. And so the easiest thing I would say is for pastors to identify needs in the community and figure out how they can help meet those needs. If it's adopting a local park, um, if it's helping to organize a cleanup day or a quarterly cleanup, if it's painting homes, if it's um, starting tutoring or um, providing counseling or really just meeting whatever need that there is in the community and being that stopgap. But um, really offering themselves and service to a city is really, um, it's just invaluable because if you meet with your mayor, you meet with your council person, they can tell you exactly what they need. And usually the church is able to fill that need. And so mm-hmm. that that's a, a, a key opportunity to really serve um, in the community and have an impact. And what I hear too is like, you're, you're willing to serve, but you're also aware of the needs. Yes. How do you describe your leadership style? Definitely um, servant leader, team player. Yeah. Um, everything is a team approach. Um, I do my part. I would I wouldn't expect other people to work harder than I am willing to work. And so um, it's really about modeling um, your expectation of excellence and really challenging people to meet the mark and to join you. And I think that a lot of times um, people lead from from such a, an aptitude that is unreachable. And it's hard to inspire people when they can't touch you and they can't feel you. And so I'm on the ground with my team. Um, we do this together. Um, I value them just as much as I value myself. I know that they're essential. Your team is, they're, they're gifts from God. And so they're not to be used, they're not to be abused, they're to be honored. And you have to really um, lead from that perspective. And when you can express love and respect to your team, they'll do nothing but return it um, in, in an amazing way. Do you have a, uh, obviously based on listening to you, um, your life of faith is so integrated into who you are oh, yes. that there's no there's no gap. No. Has that been a challenge at any point? I mean, have, have, has there been people who are, hey, hold on a second. Never. This is, this is, this is the public square. <laughs> you know, what are, what are you talking about? 
Never. I've never been challenged. Um, I think when people can perceive and really feel that what you are living and what you are saying is really real and genuine, they do nothing but respect it. Hmm. And so I've never had a challenge with people um, being upset about me sharing my faith or um, feeling that I'm mixing, you know, politics with um, my religion. And Mm -hmm. I always share with people that I don't even consider myself religious. I consider myself to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it's something that um, is a part of who I am. And so there, I can't put Jesus down. And so it's just a part of me. And I think people respect it and I've never had an issue or a challenge from people. I mean, I love hearing that because so many people walking into many places, whether it's a corporate arena, public square, it doesn't matter. Oh, oh you know, I have to leave part, this part of me behind. Yeah. We have to remember as Christians that the gospel is meant to offend. It's not meant to God. Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. And so we're not meant to help soothe people in darkness. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be that light. We're supposed to be the disruption. And so um, I just know that God wouldn't send me any place that he doesn't want me to be. And so yeah. if I get one shot, I'm shooting it. And that's so awesome. that that's how I live. What's the sort of the vision for the future? I don't know. God... I know that he's called me to a higher level of leadership and I know that I'll get there at the appointed time and I'm open to whatever path he has for me. And I know that my path thus far has not been traditional. I haven't gone in the, in the steps or the order that um, people say that I'm supposed to go where people are supposed to go. So yeah. I know it's going to be something that people don't expect. I know it'll blow my mind or probably blow other people's mind. So I'm just, um, I'm staying tuned and just staying ready. If you're going to really be a change agent, you better Buckle your seatbelt yeah, and get ready that, for the turbulence. Armor, yeah, it's a battle. But that's what's needed. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what leaders do. We walk into uncertainty that's and right. create certainty, and we walk into things that are chaotic and and yeah. try to create change in them. Um, last word from you. Just give you sort of the last word to inspire the leaders who are listening to this. You know, what would you want to say to them? I would just say to remind um, all leaders and especially those of us that are of faith is to remind us that we have to rely on God to restore us. And this walk is so difficult. And there are times when you are just tired, discouraged, worn out. And the only person that can fill you up is the Lord. And we can't forget that as leaders, you're you're so independent and you're so um, sometimes you're just independent of relying on others. And there can be a time where you almost kind of don't rely on God as much as you need to. And so um, my prayer is always just God fill me with a fresh wind and allow just mm. restore my mind, restore my heart, heal my heart. Um, as we go through so many battles, um, they, they have an ability to penetrate your heart and so keep your heart pure because that's where people can see God and um, to remember that at the end of the day we're God's representatives it's not us doing this work but it's God working through us and so whatever he wants you to achieve you will whatever you don't he, you won't mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and it's not that responsibility is not on us that we're responsible to just do our simple part and whatever um, is supposed to happen after us or before us we have to leave that up to God and I think sometimes we have the tendency to want to just do everything or to see things all the way to the end but as I close one person plants a seed another waters and God gets the increase so we have to leave room for God to get the increase and just do our small little tiny bit part and that allows you to have so much peace and allows you to um, really understand that in the grand scheme of things we're really small and that keeps us humble and that keeps us relying on God and so and we can't do anything without him but we can do everything with him well said well said the honorable mayor Agent Brown, thank you you for what you're doing. 
As you're listening to this, yes, take a moment, think about what's the practical thing to take away. What's mm. the one thing you can take away from this episode? Write it down in your moleskin, put it in your notes app on your phone, mm-hmm. Evernote, wherever you like to capture things. And we really want this to soak in and let God convict you, challenge you, encourage you, because that's the goal here is not just to walk away and hear something, but actually do something with it. Absolutely. And if you love this and you're going, I want to dive in deeper, thriveconference.org. Go to Thrive Now. Ton of resources, interesting articles and videos and things for you that are going to just enhance you as a leader in your church. So what we're saying is, is that you always need to pay attention yes. to the old thriveconverse.org or yes. Thrive Now. Right. Stay in the know. Stay in the Listen know. Listen to the podcast. You never know what might be coming up. That is good advice. And you know what? It's well said. Well, the next episode is going to be even better. We're going to hopefully keep getting better. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep striving to bring you good content, helpful stuff. That's our goal here on the Thrive Leadership Podcast. And so until next time, we hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you very soon. The Thrive Leadership Podcast is hosted by CJ Alvarado and Brad Lominick and is produced by Kip Johns. To download and share this and other Thrive podcasts, go to thriveconference.org.